Cory Doctorow is co-editor of Boing Boing and the former European director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. He writes columns for Make, Information Week, and The Guardian Online. He has won the Locus Award three times, nominated for the Hugo and Nebula Awards, won the Campbell Award, and was named one of the web's 25 influencers by Forbes magazine and a young global leader by the World Economic Forum. He hopes you'll use technology to change the world. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you very much. You've just come out with, well, you, you actually put the book online first before it was published? Is that Simultaneous right? with the public. And it has won the Canadian Science Fiction Award uh, named after... Phyllis Gottlieb, named after her first novel, the Sunburst Award. It's the second Sunburst I've won. This year I won it in the young adult category. There's a, one for adults and one for young adult novels. Previously I won it for my first short story collection, A Place So Foreign and Eight More. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Phyllis died this year, so it's uh, very bittersweet. I'd like to somehow, if we can, fold in the message of Little Brother, which is the title of your latest book, the polemic that you're uh, trying to change the world with, with the future of the book. Sure. The thing that publishing has going for it as we continue to move into this period of permanent technological revolution. You know, sometimes you hear people from publishing and, and entertainment say, well, in this period of technological transition... We're not in a period of technological transition. There's no flat ground at the top of this hill. Right? This is just it just gets weirder from here on in. And the thing that I think books have going for them, it's their primary asset, is our mythic sentimental attachment to the form. In a way that is culture deep, completely transcends the essential cheapness and poor manufacturing quality of the majority of things that are sold as books. In fact, in some cases, the, the very cheaply and badly made ones are even are even lovelier, you know, the old pulps. And is really the thing that, that we, we carry into our, in our hearts as we move into the 21st century. That penumbra of, of sentimentality, of fetishism, has lots and lots of positive effects on books. You know, burning a book, even a very bad book, even a very bad book in your incinerator that keeps your house warm, it's just a, a, an awful, disgusting thought. It's like eating human flesh or something. It's taboo right at the bone. Pang of guilt. It really is. Even yeah. terrible books. You know, and I used yeah. to strip books when I worked in bookstores. Tearing the cover off a book hurts. I have a hard time recycling phone books, right? I mean, we, we really have this very emotional relationship with books. And we buy books. We own books. We pass books on. Even though, you know... I've worked in publishing. Books are ephemeral, right? Most books are made to be consumed. You know, they come out, they're withdrawn, they come out in paperback, the hardcover is remaindered, the paperback it goes out of print, and that's it. They sink without a trace, unregarded and unremembered. Well, they go into used bookstores. They go into used bookstores. But, you know, I was just at Word on the Street in Toronto where you could find used booksellers who were selling bags of 20 undifferentiated yeah. books for yeah. five bucks, right? Yeah. Even, even so, we revere the books that we choose and the ones that we keep in our shelves. And they're part of our identity. They're yeah. old friends. We, we hand them down. We loan them out. We give them to other people. All of these are, are incredible features of the book that are very good for publishing. Right? Publishing gets a free ride on our sentimental attachment to books. But, but don't you think that the paperback version mm -hmm. of the books are in greatest jeopardy? This is what I've been doing. I've been going through my library. I have to get rid of a percentage of them. So my thinking is, well, I'll just get rid of the stuff that is content as opposed to a book that may be a first edition or has 
particular design features to it that are appealing. Do you see the paperback book being more in jeopardy than, let's say, the, the, the collectible first edition or hardcover? Well, I mean, it's funny because a lot of first edition hardcovers these days are the opposite of collectibles. They, they have gigantic print run. And they, it's not and scarce. They, and they, yeah, we're going to have to wait 50 years for them to, be, to, to become scarce objects again. And sometimes they can be quite iconic, those mass market paperbacks. There's a beautiful set of photos of um, copies of Future Shock bought from different yard sales whose spines have been bleached at different levels. And, you know, it came in five or six different hot spot colors, Pantones. It's been laid out in a spectral arrangement. So that it goes from darkest to lightest across the thing. So it's, it's quite, you, you, there's quite lovely stuff in there. Yeah. But the point I was trying to make is that the thing that we're being told about electronic books, in addition to losing some of the physicality, which I'm not that bothered about, is that we're losing the ownership, that these books are, are, are only licensed. So we can't loan them. Yes. We can't give them away. They can't be passed down to our descendants. They can't be, be given to our kids' schools when we're done with them. Sorry to interrupt, but there's a point that the hacker, well-known hacker, the MIT hacker at the Bunny end of... Wang, yeah. Yes. It really st- stuck out here when he was questioned about why did you hack the, the Xbox. Xbox. And he said, because I own it. Right. So, yeah, ownership itself dignifies the human condition. We like to own stuff. We, we feel proprietary about our stuff. But particularly books, right? How many times have you bought a book and thought, this book will not only be my book, but it'll be the book of someone who I pass it on to? How many times have you gone into a bookstore with someone and said, remember that book I loaned to you? I want it back. You've got to buy a copy here. In the same way that, you know, you have like the, the Stalinist program to separate people from their, of their, from their love of their parents and to try and this, this Orwellian snitch idea on, that, yeah. that, you, that you have a snitch culture where you turn your parents in and you, you break up the family unit. If you wanted to break up the emotional bond the human race has with books, you could do no better job than to declare the book a licensed object that has no future beyond your particular use of it on one particular device that, that won't even travel with you as you migrate from device to device. Mm. Or, you know, if, the, if Amazon goes out of business and the Kindle vanishes, your Kindle books vanish with it. Mm-hmm. It's unlawful to move them to another they device. Play on that That's right. Device. Yeah. And, and so here I see the seeds of the book's destruction more than anything else. Because what we are doing is we're driving a wedge between human beings and their emotional relationship with books. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the only strength that the book has going into the 21st century. It's its primary ammunition against all the other things we can now do with our discretionary time that are deeply social in a way that even puts some of the most social elements of books to shame. Where, you know, instead of reading regurgitated, extruded, Tolkien, third generation, weak Tolkien product, you can go and play World of Warcraft, and not only are you getting a fairly decent regurgitated Tolkien experience, but you're also hanging out with hundreds of, of other people, some of whom might have sex with you someday. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a powerful attraction that has undeniable legs. I mean, 11 million World of Warcraft players worldwide, right? That eats into the same discretionary time budget that we give pleasure reading. You take already that backdrop of books being a discretionary pleasure, and our discretionary time budgets, there's more ferocious competition than ever, and then you alienate people from their emotional relationship to books, which is a big reason why we read in the first place, and you end up with a recipe for absolute disaster for publishing, and it's publishing's own doing. It's very hard to feel sympathetic for them, although it's easy to feel panicked for them. And why is that? Oh, because they're the authors of their own destruction. Because? Because because they're the ones 
who are going along with Amazon and with all the other proprietary ebook and audiobook vendors like Audible and, mm-hmm. and so there's, you know Apple Apple Audible Amazon and, and uh, Adobe just the A's <laughs> right four companies that are insisting on all proprietary all locked down you know if you buy a song for the iPhone through mm-hmm. from the Apple store mm-hmm. you have to agree to 26,000 words of license agreement Right? Nobody writes a 26,000-word license agreement because they want to make sure that you're getting the best deal possible. Right? Every one of those words is a way of taking away something that copyright, copyright law affords you, that consumer law affords you. Every one of those words is confiscatory. And 26,000 of them is beyond the pale. It's, it's like a, a joke out of a Monty Python sketch. And yet, here we are with publishers' legal departments insisting on more of this stuff. What about the argument, though, that new technology won't displace the old technology? In fact, look what's happened in the revival of of vinyl. Right, and and not only that, but the the new life for performance, right, Where, where before it was very hard to be a profitable performer who was a marginal studio musician. Now it's just the reverse. Well, yeah, I think that's true. If if the book has the breathing space to do that, I mean, this book that you're holding in your hands, 90,000 copies in print, nine print runs, 16 multilingual editions, and a 17th other English edition through the rest of the Commonwealth, uh, film rights, theatrical rights, game rights, audio rights, all of them sold or, or in negotiation. The comic book rights are in negotiation now. All of that stuff for a book that was available as a free download from the day it came out because the two goods are complementary. The yeah. free ebook is intensely complementary to the physical book. The affordance of the paper book is that it's a great thing to relax with. Yeah. The affordance of the electronic book is it's a great way to figure out which books you want to read. It's a great way to entice your friends to read a book because you can email them a copy and paste in the paragraph that you think that they're interested in. You go, look at this paragraph. Doesn't that remind you of Fred in that summer when we killed that guy and buried him in the backyard? It's almost like an ad for the book. It it? really is. And and then it's complimentary after you finish the book because there's a passage you want to refer to and you've got search, you've got directed access to the the entire text through an electronic search. So all of those things are so complimentary to the physical object. It just makes the physical object more valuable. The very fact, too, as you've said, a reading long-form narrative on the screen it's just not something that's... Well, not certainly not on the multi-purpose screen. Not on the yeah. multi-purpose screen, because the Where multi-purpose screen has so many other distractions. There's yeah. always... You're, you're never more than one click away from a YouTube video of a guy putting a lemon in his nose, <laughs> right? And so there's just the, the siren song of the, nasal, of the nasal lemon is so loud that you have to have the iron self-discipline of a monk to read a long-form narrative off a screen. Now, you can have single-purpose screens like the Kindle, but the problem is that those single-purpose screens can't do enough to support a mass audience. Exactly. You want a machine that this multi well if you want to sell 20 million of a unit or 300 million of a unit it needs to do more than books because there just aren't enough readers right it needs to do games and mobile phone applications and all the rest of it and as soon as it does that you're right back to the guy with the lemon up his nose right so I just don't think that it's likely to happen I think we will write narratives that are sui generis to the screen to the the distracting screen we already have some of those I know it's happening in Japan for uh, cell phones and And MMOs right I think World of Warcraft is a form of narrative that is sui generis to the screen because people obviously play WoW for hours at a stretch, you know? But it's not the traditional three-act novel. Not that the traditional three-act novel is dead, but that the traditional three-act novel is safely between the covers of a book. Your sense, then, of what's going to happen with the book? Is that we'll give away e-books to sell print books. I think that that's the long-term trajectory. 
or at least medium-term trajectory. I mean, the long-term trajectory, for all I know, is injections. Literature and injection form. But the medium-term trajectory. Cory Doctorow is co-editor of Boing Boing and the former European director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. He has won the Locus Award three times, won the Campbell Award, and was named one of the web's 25 influencers by Forbes magazine and a young global leader by the World Economic Forum.